evening. The passage we will be looking at this evening is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. Uh, that's page 809 in the Church Bible. That's Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sukan, very much um, indeed. Now, there are three points on the service sheet, three simple points, but powerful and glorious and helpful. I hope and trust that this gets us to the heart of the passage. They're not my points. If they were, I would not say they were glorious and powerful. They are what we believe to be and what I hope are the heartbeats of this Bible passage. The glorious kingdom of heaven and the world. Then Jesus' dangerous global disciple-making mission with words. That just trips off the tongue. But I think that's what it's saying and then true conversion. Let's take each in turn. First, the glorious kingdom of heaven and the world. Now, what is being described here by Matthew in his gospel, the writer of this gospel book, is a very big deal. It's a big, big deal, and we'll see that uh, in a moment. It's a big deal. It's a momentous event, one of the most significant, if not the most significant, day or period or week or so in, in history, but it's not a surprise. 
When these events happened at this time in history when Jesus came into the world, and this is the Bible passage that describes the start of the public ministry of Jesus. There is only one time his public ministry began when the Son of God walked on the earth. It is not a surprise. His coming had been long promised. Now, what is described here is the fulfillment of what was promised. Matthew, a writer, makes that clear right through his gospel. And here, by quoting from the Old Testament, here it is the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet's ministry, was at a time when God's people had turned from him. The prophet's message was of judgment, of exile in Babylon, but ultimately of hope because one day God would send his king into the world and with the king's coming, the kingdom of heaven would break into the earth. Now, the quotation from Isaiah that Matthew includes in verses 15 to 16 of Matthew 4 is from Isaiah 9, a part of the Bible that we are familiar with most perhaps from Christmas services. Let me read from Isaiah 9. Mindful that what we're reading was written hundreds of years before the events described. Now, we could read this from Matthew, but I'm going to read it from Isaiah 9, and it's the same, but that's hugely significant. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. Now, let me just skip on two verses in Isaiah 9. Sure, Matthew, our writer, intends us to have these later verses, the context of Isaiah 9, in our minds. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. It's a kingdom. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, his kingdom, and of peace, there shall be no end. Now, Matthew describes this glorious promise being fulfilled. And because Matthew is an eyewitness account of what happened, he is describing what was promised actually happening. Isaiah's prophecy speaks of something momentous. The king has come and his kingdom has broken into the world. That's a massive deal. But there are a number of non-spectacular details like the place names, Zebulun, Naphtali, and Galilee. And I shall resist the temptation of giving any Scottish equivalents, lest 50 people here come from wherever. Now, these regions and places were in worldly terms of no significance, but in God's plan to save humanity, when God's king went there, we would know that the kingdom of heaven at last had broken into the world. 
Now, what is the king and his kingdom like? It is glorious. It is light in the dark. Driving back from Shona and Cameron's wedding on Wednesday night, having initially headed north to Dundee before realizing we were going in the wrong direction, I was neither driving nor navigating. We were listening to Radio 4 describing the rare event of a blue moon, which is seeing the moon at its fullest and brightest not once but twice in the same month. Hence the phrase, this happens only in a blue moon, once in a blue moon. The presenter on Radio 4 was bemoaning the fact that in the south of England the sky was overcast, but she wasn't in Fife. Where the skies were clear and the blue moon was a magnificent sight lighting up the landscape with shadows cast across the waters of Loch Leven. The coming of the king is light. Light breaking into darkness. The coming of the kingdom is light breaking into the darkness. The king in the kingdom is light. What does it mean to live in darkness? It means to live in a world where dark shadows stalk us through life. It means to live in a world where the shadow of death casts its bleak, cold pal. A shadow that consumes humanity in the darkness of death. And that is not the world God created. It is the world that came about through humanity's rebellion and rejection of God. It's this death world Jesus came into to destroy death and bring salvation. And that is glorious. Just stop and think and embrace that. He came to destroy the darkness. He came to dispel the darkness. He came to destroy the valley of the shadow of death. He came to destroy death itself. That's glorious. But that's not our world. Everyone still dies. Suffering is everywhere. Has light really broken into the darkness? Is light shining in the face of death? Notice what Isaiah's prophecy says, quoted in Matthew. A light has dawned. Light has broken into this dark world now, but it's not yet what it will be. What it will be is when Jesus comes and the glorious kingdom of heaven is the world consuming, dispelling the darkness. And that's when Jesus comes again in the new creation. Why not yet? Well, as we'll see in a moment, to give people the chance to repent and believe and be saved. But how do we know it will happen? Well, look with me at the end of our passage. And what Matthew describes is what Jesus did for a short time on the earth when the kingdom of heaven broke into the world. He showed us what the kingdom in its fullness will be like. Let's read Matthew's extraordinary record of 
what happened. Reading from verse 23, Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every affliction. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. That's a big place. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, paralytics. And he healed them. That word them is better translated, he healed them all. Great crowds flocked after him. Here's the proof. That is what happened. It is a wonderful, it is a moving, it is a heart-wrenching sight of all that is wrong with this world and the human condition reversed. The evidence is overwhelming. Overwhelming as proof, overwhelming in its emotional intensity, overwhelming in its beauty and its comfort, that would you not throw your lot in with Jesus and become part of his kingdom now? The glorious kingdom of heaven in the world. Second, Jesus' dangerous global disciple-making mission with words. Let me show you where I get that from. Well, verse 17 is the heart of the passage. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This verse describes the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. He is a preacher. He has a message to proclaim. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. That just means they use a lot of the same material. They're not the same, though. Each gospel writer selects the material they use. Each gospel writer has a particular purpose or emphasis in writing this gospel. But all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in describing the beginning of Jesus' ministry, emphasize the priority of his preaching. Mark is very similar to Matthew with the addition of an explicit comment that the reason Jesus came was to proclaim or to preach following his record of Jesus' temptation. In Luke's gospel, Luke describes Jesus teaching in the synagogues. And when Jesus comes to Nazareth, Luke records Jesus. This is Luke reading from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' priority in his ministry is proclamation. It is preaching. That is his ministry. And moreover, it is his mission. It is what he commissions the apostles to do. Commission is to share in his mission, to preach the word. It is what through inspiring his apostles to write, he commissions elders to do, to preach the word. That's why we're doing what we're doing now, right at this moment. That is what Jesus has sent us into the world to do. It's what the Lord Jesus sends Craig to do, sends him to us to do this, to preach, to teach the Word. The ministry of the Word in its various forms and expressions is the mission of Jesus. That includes every Christian. 
speaking the gospel, speaking the truth. That is the priority. That is the focus. Moreover, it is a global mission. We just get tiny hints of it here. Some of the places mentioned here outside Jewish territory, they're in Gentile territory. The prophecy of Isaiah speaks of beyond the Jordan. Galilee is described as Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus' mission, the one that we are all embraced in, is a global mission, a promise that goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and God's promise to Abraham. Look around. Where are we tonight? In Scotland. That's across the sea. Jesus' mission is a global mission. And it is a disciple-making mission. It is through speaking the word that people become followers of Jesus. It is through speaking the word that people grow as Christians and are equipped and sent out to speak. And it's dangerous. It is a message that is rejected and opposed. Its messengers are rejected and opposed. There's just a hint of that here in Matthew 4. Jesus begins his public ministry in an atmosphere of hostility, Matthew 4 and verse 12, when he heard that John had been arrested. Jesus, dangerous, global, disciple-making mission with words, results in true conversion. Verses 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting an head into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Disciple makers. Disciple making disciples. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus calls us to repent. We saw that in the key central verse. What does repent mean? It means turn in a new direction. It means turn right around. It means turn one's life around. It means convert. When we hear the word repent, I listened to this this week, and I'd never grasped this. When we hear the word repent, when I hear the word repent, I immediately think of the costly demands of Jesus that causes me to recognize my sin and come in repentance to Jesus for salvation, trusting in his saving death on the cross. That's true. But another dimension of repentance, of turning, is to turn from the dark to the light. It's to turn from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. It is to turn one's life right around that we can face the valley of the shadow of death with a steady eye. It is to turn and to follow the king whose kingdom has broken into the world and will come in its fullness when he returns a world free from sin and sickness and death. Just in my mind now, there must be somebody here who thinks, but that's not true, is it? Because it's not the world. Go back and look at the evidence in Matthew. Look what Jesus did. Verse 
and turn and embrace this glorious eternity. Turn now when you have the chance, when you hear the call. Conversion is not just coming to Jesus for salvation. It is living for Him and for Him alone as our highest priority. Our devotion and ambition for the rest of our lives on the earth. For Simon, Peter and Andrew, for James and John, it meant leaving everything to follow Jesus. Their calling was to be disciples and apostles. Following means different things for us all in terms of what we do. But for every true follower of Jesus, for every true convert, serving our Lord becomes our inner desire and our whole life and our driving conviction fitfully, but it's there. That's why one of the questions Craig will answer tonight to is this. Are not zeal for the glory of God, love to the Lord Jesus Christ, and a desire for the salvation of all people, as far as you know your own heart, your great motive and your great desire to be set apart as an elder? His answer, they are by God's grace. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. We thank you for this moving description of the kingdom of heaven breaking into the world with its king. And the extraordinary stuff that he did to show us what the not yet of that kingdom will be like when the kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of this world and darkness and sin and sickness and death is not just dealt a death blow, it is expelled. But until then, Jesus commissions us all to a dangerous global disciple-making mission with words. Words in our Bible, which in the hands of the Holy Spirit and proclaimed by a Christian, deeply affected by these words themselves, are powerful supernatural, life-giving, life-changing, causing men and women, young people and boys and girls to convert, to repent, to change, to lay hold of Jesus as their highest devotion and priority in life. That is true conversion. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the man who will stand and make promises tonight is converted. And if there is anyone here who is not converted, please, Lord Jesus, give them faith to turn and face eternity, to turn and face light, to turn and face Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake.